Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Elizabeth Reese, who is an Alexander Technique teacher, a dressage writer and instructor, and she's also the artistic director of the Warwick Summer Arts Festival. She um, also uh, works um, or teaches on uh, ATNYC, which is a Alexander Technique teacher training uh, course in Manhattan. And Elizabeth teaches the technique in Orange County, New York, which is about an hour north of New York City. And she's also available for lessons in Manhattan. Elizabeth, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Elizabeth, I wonder if you could begin by just um, telling our listeners a little bit, a tiny little bit about what the Alexander Technique is. Well, the Alexander Technique is, uh, is well, simply, it could be described about posture. But then, of course, there's the big question of what is posture. And posture is not really the way we think of it, a set of positions, but it's the way that we quite dynamically interact with gravity so that it's uh, when, when, we, when we interact to our best of our abilities, there's a very dynamic relationship of our whole spines, our head and our neck and our back. And, uh, uh, and, and as Alexander teachers, we're looking to improve that dynamic all the time. I think that's a great a great description. I, if I can just put my two cents worth in about the word posture, it's kind of a shame that it's mostly seen as a noun these days, mm. and, and the verb form of it has doesn't has pejorative connotations. But apparently, a hundred hundred and fifty years ago, it was used as a verb quite often, and and that actually. Uh, is is probably a lot better way, a much better way to think about it than a, as a position of some kind. I love that, Robert. Yeah. I, I often often talk about posture being an expression. It's yeah. how we are we express ourselves through our posture. Really, and there is an old-fashioned word called carriage, which, mm. um, in some ways, it's too bad it's not hasn't been resurrected in in our modern usage because it actually conveys that idea of movement uh, as well. There's, there's an expression in the horse world called self-carriage oh. and that when you are working on a, uh, training a horse through the, the dressage levels, that what you want really pretty much from the get-go is that you're looking for this concept of self-carriage and that means that the horse you're not trying to hold the horse up. You position them. You encourage them to use their backs more correctly. And then you back off and see if they can maintain it for a little bit. So in a sense, it's what we do as Alexander teachers, that we're encouraging students to use their backs in a wonderful, widening, more dynamic way. And they can't always maintain it. Maybe they can maintain it for a moment. Maybe they can maintain it for a step. Maybe they can maintain it between standing and sitting, but little by little, they can develop and we can all develop better self-carriage. I say we all because I think it's something we can work on forever. Yes, absolutely. So I, I would like to, um, to to have you tell our listeners a little bit how, how you encountered the Alexander Technique and what mm. caused you to continue studying it. And at some point, obviously, you 
you underwent a three-year training to become a teacher. How did how did that all begin for you? I was I was quite young when I uh, was taking a summer dance theater workshop in in Michigan, uh, Western Michigan, and I was at the time a dancer and actress, and th- there was a lot of exciting things of dance and theater. There was a ritual theater class, and then there was an Alexander class offered by Marjorie Barstow. I'd never heard of her. I'd never heard of the technique, and I took it, and uh, she gave a brief introduction and said. Uh, describing the Alexander Technique, what I, which I don't remember, but she did ask if anyone else had ever heard of the Alexander Technique. And I said, oh, yes. Uh, uh, if, if, I'm sorry. If, if anyone had ever done anything similar to the Alexander Technique. And I, as a, as a young kid, said, yes, absolutely. I'd done some yoga and some Tai Chi, and I'd studied at the Hawkins School. And she really corrected me and said, wrong. There's nothing like the Alexander Technique. And I was a bit put off by it. Actually, I thought, I'm going to drop this class immediately. And then she came over and put hands on me. And it was, uh, I think it was the words I've used recently. It was unfolding from the inside out. It was, it was the most phenomenal experience I'd ever had that it wasn't about. She wasn't positioning me. She wasn't putting me in a place. She was speaking so deeply to my uh, my sense of pulling down and in and just uh, releasing me up and out. And I had never experienced something like that. So I, I followed her around a lot <laughs> for the next few years. And then it became a very fundamental part of my training as a, as a dancer and performer in New York City. Then I, I missed horses because I'd ridden a lot as a kid. And I found my way uh, to a, a small little barn in Brooklyn and I started taking a few riding lessons. And, and I said, Jan, this is, just, this is so much like the Alexander Technique. And someone gave me Sally Swift's book and said, oh, well, someone already put this together. And Sally Swift, who had been a student of Marge's, mm-hmm. she was also, uh, really, her book is very much based on the work of Mabel Todd. And, and then she was deeply influenced by the Alexander Technique uh, later on in her life. And her second book talks a lot about the Alexander Technique, of course. Uh, but that, that, it was like somebody's doing this. There's somebody out there that, that is put words to an experience that I was having. And, uh, and that really inspired me. And at, at that point, I, I trained. I, I went to ACAT, uh, American Center for the Alexander Technique, and began my training. And and for our listeners, that's another teacher training course in in Manhattan. And I think we should mention that Sally Swift, the name of the process that she developed, I guess you could call it a process, was centered riding, mm-hmm. which I I'm not really that involved in in horseback riding, but uh, I believe that's still going strong, isn't it? Didn't she oh. train people and and that's very a, much. An ongoing she has a- Yes, um, there's there's centered riding teachers all over the country, and in fact, they had their uh, AGM, their annual general meeting, which they also do workshops around, like we do as Alexander teachers. And um, I was one of the the featured speakers at the at this year's AGM, and it was a wonderful honor to be there. Uh, and Sally had just passed away this June. Um, but it was also just incredible to meet these wonderful equestrians from around the country that are, are continuing to teach her work. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, it might be interesting to our, our listeners to know that um, F. Matthias Alexander, who was the developer of the the ideas and really of the Alexander technique, was a very uh, enthusiastic uh, horseback rider and observer of horses himself. Mm-hmm. And that came out of his uh, childhood, I think, in, in rural Tasmania, uh, where he, he observed animals in general. And I think that had quite an influence on his on his uh, thinking. But I, horses were, were a passion of his. And Marjorie Barstow, who you mentioned, who's also a, a very important teacher for me, was also a very enthusiastic horse back rider and observer of horses and um, I'm sure she got a lot of her ideas about teaching from working with horses. Absolutely as, as was Walter Carrington. As who, Walter Carrington who's another a, a British teacher of the technique very well known in Alexander uh, technique circles. Uh, I think he's, he died about three or four years ago. He also was not only a, a rider but um, he actually developed some Alexander Technique teaching uh, procedures based on uh, using a, a horse, a saddle. Right, uh, right. So uh, there, there are some very strong connections between uh, the Alexander Technique and dressage and horseback riding in general. Well, what, I, what I've found over the years is that I feel like I'm very lucky to have almost uh, – my own personal lab between teaching people and teaching horses. Because sometimes when I'm teaching people, I can get a little bit lost in, 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 the, in the humanness of us. And I can go out and, and watch the horses or work with a horse. And then vice versa, I can get lost in the horses. And when I say get lost in it, it's, it's so easy to get lost in this idea of positioning and what we see and uh, and forget about the layers underneath of freeing that deep structure uh, that that we're looking always in horses for that spring-like quality that is released so that the back is dynamic, that the back is um, at its most athletic, which is not pulled down and tight. So these these um, men and women that you mentioned that were such brilliant teachers and had a great understanding of the Alexander Technique also had the great opportunity to go back and and read a lot of the great masters in riding and put side by side with Alexander's writing and uh, writers about classical equitation of a couple hundred years ago, uh, let alone the really some of the really brilliant writers I've been able to train with. It's the same thing that we are we are these dynamic mammals, and the only difference is the orientation of the spine, but our nervous systems are primarily the same, mm-hmm. and how we as I started in describing the Alexander technique, which of course we describe a little bit differently all the time, but that dynamic interaction with gravity is the same, how this relationship of the head neck back all function, and good riders have known that for a few hundred years, maybe more than that. So um, I'm assuming that to be a good rider, you have to be able to ride a horse in such a way that you're not going to cause the horse to interfere with that dynamic pattern. Is that a a fair way to put it? Absolutely, yes. And Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think in learning to ride, um, as in learning to do everything, we think about all the things that we have to do in order. Uh, a, a very classic uh, thing is that if a beginner went onto a horse, they would say, well, my legs get sore from squeezing, therefore I better build up more leg muscles. And uh, if I need to turn the horse to the right, I've got to pull with the right rein. And if I need to turn him to the left, I better pull with the left rein. If I want him to stop, I better pull. So it's all pulling and squeezing. Well, actually, those are the exact opposite things that you want to do. That if you get on a horse and your inner legs are really sore after you get on the horse, it's usually because you were gripping for dear life trying to stay on the horse. Mm-hmm. And in fact, how we stay on a horse is merely balance. I say merely because, of course, it takes a lifetime to get really good at that, is balance and timing. I say timing because timing is we're not on a chair. We're on this moving critter uh, that moves back back and forth, uh, a little bit side to side. There's a bit of a rotation and a little bit different in every single gait. And we have to absorb that movement with our whole bodies and we have to follow its intricacies. So there's a little bit of a spiral that happens in our own bodies. And we have to learn not to grab on, but in fact to open up in order to be able to follow. And we have to probably most fundamentally learn not to pull and mm-hmm. grab on with those hands. So in, I say to turn right is actually a little bit of a give. And mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. turn left is a little give in the other direction. So it's very counterintuitive when we first get on these animals. And we can learn so much about what our instinct is, which is to lean forward, grab on, <laughs> and hold on for dear life. I, it makes me think of a, of a student I had. She was an Alexander student. Uh, one of my first Alexander students, but before that, she'd been a riding student for about maybe a couple of years. And then I finally convinced her to take some Alexander lessons. I had just started. And her her first comment was, all this time I thought I was afraid of falling off the horse. But in fact, I'm just afraid of falling off. Mm hmm Right. And I would guess that a horse, being the sensitive animal it is, will pick up on your anxiety and certainly if you're tightening your legs um, I would think the horse would not respond well to that absolutely you know it's not it's what we it's what we do but it's also what we do that we don't know that we do that Mm -hmm. that is a big part of training of the horse so we are we are communicating with the horse through our whole bodies we're communicating with these very subtle shifts of weight and pressure mm-hmm. and release of that pressure. So that's easy to teach. What's hard to teach and, and is, the, is the work is seeing what are the things that we're doing that we're not intending to do so that we're doing it at an unconscious or a subconscious level. And that's where the Alexander technique really can help so much because you can work off the horse. You can see what your own habits are of grabbing or pulling or tightening muscles that don't need to be tightened that that just knock us off balance in our own our everyday walking around. Mm-hmm. And so that when you take that on a horse, we can be throwing a horse off balance and not intending to at all. And we think, oh, the horse is, he's not listening. He's being a bad horse. Where in fact, we're really interfering with the poor animal's movement. Right. So if if someone is a rider and comes to you for Alexander lessons, 
How do you work with them typically? If they are a rider. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first thing we do is slow down <laughs> a lot. When a, when a rider first comes, I, um, I like to work. Uh, if they're working on one of my horses, um, it's nice because I know the horse very well and what the capabilities are. So it's a little bit different if they're working with their horse. Um, but so, for instance, if they come to me with their horse and they're working, I'll, I'll usually watch them for 10, 15 minutes and ask them to do the things that they really love to do and maybe ask them to do a few things that they really don't like to do. And I like to meet I like to meet riders. I like to meet all students a little bit where they are to find out what their ideas are. And uh, and then we then we take apart from there. We kind of come back. I had a, a trainer of mine that used to say um, the, the first 10 minutes of the lessons is a little bit like going fishing that I so I don't have a set thing, but I, I watch. And yet I'm looking from this fundamental place of uh, is is the rider uh, working with as much um, coordination and ease and relaxation in their own backs. And what are the few things I can say? And I very particularly say few things because it's easy to say 14 things. But to find one, two, maybe three things that you can pick out that are going to make the big difference in that moment is, I think, the art of teaching. Mm-hmm. especially up on a horse because there's so much going on. It looks like a rider is just sitting there, but there's, there's quite a bit of uh, kinesthetic information all the time. Well, and flowing back and forth, right, between the rider and the horse. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, yes, the so little shift. Yeah, so you might then, after observing a, a rider on a horse, make a suggestion. What what would be a, a, a typical example of, of a kind of suggestion you might make. I assume you're not using your hands at that point. It's it's all verbal? Uh, yes. I mean, sometimes, uh, it, it, again, if somebody's had Alexander lessons, um, I might put hands on them a little bit before they get on the horse. Right. And I might, before we take off at all, or maybe somewhere into the lesson, um, I, I like to come over and lift the legs or put my hand on their pelvis. Uh, again, that's where I love using my own horses. It depends on the horse. Can the horse stand quietly mm-hmm. and um, and move people around a, a, a little bit? I play a lot with stirrup length. Um, often people have their stirrups either too short where their leg is really crammed in or the the uh, dressage riders tend to have their stirrups too long so that they're reaching for the stirrup all the time. So I play with a little bit of details like that. Um, and then I have a lot of um, uh, exercises, if you will, that are, they aren't ones that I made up. They're based on on a lot of the old classical uh, uh, seat training exercises, but that I've modified as an Alexander teacher to get the support in their own head, neck, backs working a lot more. And uh, and I play with play with those things. And uh, usually I put people on a lunge line too, which is where I stand in the middle and I have a line attached to the horse so that I can control the horse and they can let go a little bit of their habits. Mm-hmm. And but if someone if someone came to you uh, as a as a rider, uh, would uh, and wanted Alexander lessons, would you also work with them 
in a in a more traditional way b- before or during or after working with them on their horse? I mean, would you, would you do sort of traditional Alexander work as well with them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, again, that depends on, on someone's uh, uh, time and economic ability to be able to do things. Uh, and sometimes riders need to be convinced to do things for themselves mm-hmm. because they, they get so focused on, they'll get a massage for their horses, they'll get chiropractic adjustments for their horses, but they won't take care of themselves. So it can take a little convincing and trust. And uh, for any riders out there interested, go take an Alexander lesson. It really can open the door and it'll be so good. It'll sometimes, not against all those massage people out there for horses, but it it can be a great gift to your horse to be able to find out what your own um, habits of use are that that you're blocking the horse's movement. Um, There's so much on on saddle fit on a horse, on spending tons of money on the right saddle so that the saddle doesn't block the horse's movement. But meanwhile, as riders, we do it all the time by by grabbing too tightly with our legs and uh, bracing in our backs in the name of using our backs. And um, uh, yeah, to do yourselves a favor and, and be able to work that out a little bit on a, on a chair or on a on a table um, so that you understand um, your body, your your own use a little bit better before you get on the horse. On the Mm -hmm. other hand, I have to say that I have some, I have a wonderful student right now who's a training to be an Alexander teacher that wanted to ride to understand the Alexander technique better. Mm -hmm. So it goes the other way too. And so for her, yeah, we go right up on a horse right away because it's certainly a much more alive thing than it, than a chair. (laughs) You you know, when you describe the, the, the pattern of people doing all kinds of things for their horse, like massage or special equipment or this or that. Um, it reminds me, I, I don't, I haven't worked much with riders, but I have worked a lot with musicians. And mm. you do see a little bit of an analogy there where a musician will take really, really good care of their instrument and spend a lot of time thinking about exactly what kind to get and how to maintain it and so on. And the idea of looking after themselves as as really the most important instrument in the in the process often comes as kind of um it 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 comes as a surprise that that might be something useful to do mm. which i think is one reason why so many musicians are in pain so much of the time because they they haven't really figured out that they need to pay attention to themselves. It sounds like a bit of an analogy there with, with horseback riding. I think riding. absolutely. Well, I, actually, I'll tell you a funny story is that um, as, I, as I started in the beginning, I, saying how I was so excited uh, initially when I came back to riding and as a dancer and had studied the Alexander Technique and on the similarities. And it really um, just led me in... It, and I was lucky. I came across these amazing classical teachers right from the get-go that were just brilliant riding teachers. So I really saw it as the same thing. But then um, time went on, and I, I moved upstate from, from New York City, and uh, I got pretty tunnel-visioned about becoming a rider. And I was working at, a, at an upper-level dressage barn, and I was working really hard at, at, at accomplishing and I think that's what we're talking about. It's when you start to go after something, whether it's being a musician or a writer. 
that that we really have in our ideas that the harder we work, the more we work, the more we do those scales, the more we do work on all those transitions, the better we're going to get. And an, an Alexander teacher, uh, actually up here in Orange County also, um, said to me, uh, Liz, I'd love to come and see you ride to see the Alexander technique in action. And I said, uh, uh-oh, <laughs> I haven't been doing this because I had completely forgotten almost it was like oh yeah yeah of course I'd do that but I really hadn't and it it was I don't think I ever told her this even but it was such a wake-up moment for me that I went wait what what am I giving up so I say now and I and I've gotten a chance to work with some really marvelous riders over the years you don't need the Alexander technique to ride it just can open up the world so that you can communicate with your horses on a much deeper, much more sensitive level. Now, I say this as an Alexander teacher, there are brilliant classical riders that do the same thing, and they don't call it the Alexander technique per se. But I think for most of us that aren't, aren't, we don't even have the years and the time and the hours to get that many blisters in our seat to ride horses. But that old, um, that old uh, classical school way of you work so hard until you can't work that hard anymore and then you give up. The body literally gives up because it it can't resist. Um, it just is too exhausted to resist. And that's the way these classical uh, military guys were trained mm-hmm. to stop holding on. Well, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Right, right. <laughs> and I think most of us aren't. And that there is this whole other way to do it, that we can we can use uh, conscious intention mm-hmm. to say, well, I don't need to work that hard and, and be aware of um, a choice and and develop our kinesthetic awareness of how we are grabbing without having to beat ourselves with a, with a whip. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think... Um... Uh, as you're talking, it, it reminds me of a time many years ago when I actually worked on a ranch camp in Wyoming and <laughs> did a lot of trail riding. Um, mm-hmm. And the the there were there were cowboys in residence, so to speak. And these were guys who had spent their whole lives riding. I mean, they mm. they would not walk anywhere. They would just mm. get on a horse to go anywhere. Um, and they, um, looking back on it, they, I have a feeling they had pretty good use of themselves from an Alexander Technique point of view. And they sure weren't pulling horses this way or that. Their, their, their reins were just very lightly held in their hand and they were easily upright on the saddle. And I think they just developed that ability from hanging out with horses from, in, in some cases, basically growing up with horses. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, that's a different kind of riding than, than dressage, but, um, Oh, but there's but great similarities. There, and, I'm and, sure there's uh, some parallels there. Yeah. Right. And I think it's developed that way because it, that's how it works. That's right. how, that's how it works is that, that horses are most free when they're, um, they're not being grabbed and pulled around. So yeah, the great masters. So if if you're listening to this, for someone listening to this who's a rider and uh, is intrigued by some of these ideas, but they're they're not anywhere near Orange County or anywhere near an Alexander teacher who works 
who is also a horseback rider, but there may be some Alexander teachers in their area, would you recommend they have lessons? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I mentioned the program that I teach down in Pennsylvania. It's I get people from all over the country, and I always say, go home, take an Alexander lesson. Uh, the student, and and conversely, the the many times Alexander teachers will call me up and say, I'm working with a rider. What will I, should I tell them about riding? And I generally say, don't let them make the connection. You're not teaching them, um, you know, how to, how to ride, how to correctly be on a horse, but people will absolutely make the connection themselves um, and, and do. And uh, yeah, the, your teacher does not have to be uh, a rider at, at all. she she or he don't they don't even have to have ever been on a horse that you can't get great benefit and you'll make the connection riders out there you'll make the connection yourselves right it's so right yeah i i would think that would be the case um is there anything else that you would like to to talk about in this interview that i have missed or hmm. that comes to mind um well, I, I think this idea, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit, too, about this um, idea of of a horse uh, and the terms that we use with riders. Mm-hmm. Like when we, we talk about a rider, we talk about, the, or talk about a horse, we talk about the horse being on the bit mm-hmm. and what that means. And so a rider would know that, you know, the horse mm-hmm. has to be in front of the leg. Well, what does that mean? Is that the energy is moving forward and, uh, and up into the, in the hands and the neck isn't shortened and pulled down, nor is it dropped down too, too low to the ground. But the whole thing is moving easily forward without constriction. That's what a horse on the bit is. Mm-hmm. And when we as riders are on on a horse and we're trying to create that happening, but at the same time we're off balance, a horse has to reinterpret that. They have to adapt to whatever our balance issues are. But if we can really, when we can, and I think all riders have had this experience at some point, and I think it's really what I have found is the place I go to all the time as a rider is when I can be on my horse and I can find that place in my body that I'm releasing my back. I'm releasing any holding around my sit bones that I am allowing my neck and my head to move out and my hands to give away. In other words, I'm doing all of this work that is just about connecting. It is not about I'm going to stop the horse. I'm going to turn the horse. I'm going to make the horse move sideways. It is just working on the first and foremost fundamental thing is connecting, mm-hmm. just connecting and not interfering with the balance. And if I can stay with that in every ride, and I think it's a discipline because I think we can, you know, get, oh, God, I have to do shoulder and I have to do this. I've got to bring the horse into a canter. But if I can stay in each gate with that just fundamental moment of connection, something marvelous starts to happen. And the horses can really, they're so sensitive, they feel a fly on their back. So we want to come down and meet that sensitivity. That how can I become even more sensitive in myself? Not try and move this 1,200-pound animal around with fierceness though sometimes it requires a little fierceness but really where can I find that gentleness and sensitivity and 
ease inside of myself. And that's the place that I want to dialogue with my horse. So it's, it's connecting as the most fundamental. Right. Connecting. And then we've get this idea of engagement. So I, I connect and I'm working calm, of course, is very big, you know, calm in horses. It's calm forward and straight. This the three biblical words of training all horses. And so you're always sort of nurture this place of calm that comes out of connection. But engagement, that's a big word in riding, engagement. You know, we want to engage our horses. And again, usually we think of it in a very physical way. But engagement is about their thinking. So it's not the behavioristic model of um, I, I touch you, you move away. I touch you, you move away. Or you do something, you get a treat. You do something, you get a pat on the shoulder. Yes, we want all those things. But more fundamentally, we want this idea that we're engaging the whole horse. We're engaging their thinking. We're engaging their awareness. How do we do that? We've got to engage our own selves through every moment of it, that you're having this um, deepening, ever-deepening dialogue with the horse through your own breathing, your own widening back, your own sense of balance. And it, 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 it can become so refined so quickly. Mm-hmm. Then you can then you can take it to wow can I do this and up the ante a little bit can I do this and transition into a canter can I do this and go into a half pass but keep that wonderful connection and engagement the whole time and fr- working from this place you can still move up the levels I think eventually move up the levels much 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 more quickly than um, than if you do it in more of a rote way. You know, it's interesting that that word calm that you used. Um, there's a, an, an Alexander Technique teacher in Australia named Richard Weiss. I don't know whether you yes. know him. Yeah, he, he, he was he, a student of John's. Yes, he... Um, and also a, a horse trainer. He was a he was a horse trainer long before he became an Alexander teacher. And one of the things that he said somewhere, I think in an article many years ago that has always stayed with me, is that it's easy to understand why, say, dogs and humans get along so well because they like to hang out together by the fire at night and run around together during the day. But for horses and humans to bond is a bit more puzzling since uh, horses are are prey. And the last thing they want on their back is another <laughs> animal. Um, right. And so for a human to be on their back and for the horse to remain calm, that's quite an achievement. Mm, yeah. A dog, yeah. you know, a dog you can get from the pound and they'll they'll bond with you right away if you you treat them nicely, but a horse to get on them and for them to remain calm, that's kind of a different a different uh, scenario, right? I, yeah, I think so. I so. think that that practicing practicing calm. You know the uh the practice of putting a horse's head down of keeping the horse's head low when they're when you're first riding is a lot because it it um uh, triggers a, a calmness in their nervous system i'm not exactly sure how there's a lot of different you know theories about mm-hmm. the chemistry that happens mm-hmm. but when a horse's head is down it's grazing and it's not on alert and that horse's head is up it's on alert so it is interesting and so when you talk about 
positioning of the horse or the, on the bit and its relationship to calm, how we can't really separate any of these things out. And, and one, one way, I suppose, of describing what, what the Alexander Technique teaches people is to be calmer. I mean, that's oh, I a think- part, I mean, it's a very oversimplified definition, but so if you're calm, your horse is more likely to be calm and I think maybe this is a, a good place to, to end the interview unless there's something else you want to add. What do you think? I, I was I uh, uh, just have a quote here. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> that I'll, I'll end with. Let's end this with a quote. Two, two quotes, actually, back to back. One is Walter Carrington. You've got to get yourself into a calm state of mind, a calm attitude, and you've got to stay that way. That's what it's all about. And the it there is the Alexander technique, right? And the it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is side by side by a, a very uh, uh, famous uh, horse trainer, Captain Boudant, who uh, trained remounts for the French cavalry in the 1800s, I think. It is calmness, calmness and nothing else, which converts disordered jerky gates into smooth flowing ones. A teacher must first get the confidence of his pupil, that being the horse, then invents kindness, gentleness, and a will that through calm is inflexible. This is the immutable and sovereign law of teaching, whether the pupil be man or beast. Wow, that's a that's a wonderful quote to end on. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it is. So um, I've been speaking today with Elizabeth Reese. She's an Alexander Technique teacher, and she she also teaches dressage and horseback riding. And she lives in Orange County, New York, about an hour north of New York City. She's available for Alexander lessons, and I, I guess riding lessons too, right? At, Absolutely. In, in Orange County. And she also uh, works on an Alexander Technique training course in Manhattan, and she's available for lessons in, uh, in Manhattan. Um, so, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me.